Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I am a proven leader with over 23 years of diverse experience designing, delivering, and supporting software and technology projects. I believe in giving back to my community, and I enjoy networking and helping to grow Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Creatively, you will find me pursuing my passions of photography, podcasting, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Let's get right into my conversation with Greg Hart. Here we go. All right. Welcome to Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast. My guest today is the one and only Greg Hart, who has quite uh, quite a career, quite an exciting career. He's worked, or he's, I guess he was with uh, founder of Always Blue Inc., uh, carbon negative durable plastics from food waste. I got to talk to you about that. That sounds really exciting. Uh, you're also one of the founders of Inception University. Uh, and also one of the, uh, I guess you're listed as design partner for Thin Air Labs. So thanks for joining me, Greg. Uh, my pleasure, Al. I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent. So um, before we get into this exciting career path, which obviously includes um, some other stuff like uh, lacrosse and things like that, um, I want to hear a little bit more about Greg when Greg was growing up. What kind of kid was Greg? Oh, dear. Um... Kind of what kind of kid was Greg? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I if we, it depends how far back we wind the tape. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually I actually had at a fairly young age. Um, I mean, my parents were both uh, classical musicians, oh, uh, and my mom my mom actually ended up playing violin in the orchestra in Toronto until she was in her eighties. And, and so, and my dad was a science teacher. And so that was really, you know, the kind of circumstances that I grew up in and uh, in the sort of interior suburbs of Toronto. And, uh, and I, like, I actually had a fairly sheltered upbringing for a while. Things like, don't think I had a slice of pizza until I was in maybe grade nine or something like that. Oh, wasn't. That's I wasn't, you know, there's, so I would say the early years were, uh, were, um, difficult in some, in some ways. Uh, but yeah. And then when I, I got to high school, I think things started to change a lot. I, I discovered rock and roll and started to uh, play the guitar and, uh, actually did my first entrepreneurial kind of, uh, venture when I was. 14 with a couple of friends and um and played a lot of sports and and everything so uh but yeah there's a weird transition there i would say going from when i was quite young to the high school years that's it that's really really interesting i love hearing about people <laughs> people that i know at an adult level and then learning kind of about what their children or childhood was like it's really fascinating um so you you started entrepreneurship quite early. Uh, was it sort of a, a reoccurring theme throughout your, your life? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's almost, well, it's not almost, I think it is a cliche to talk about the fact that for a lot of entrepreneurs, they say things like how they're not very good employees and 
that sort of thing. That, that really, really wasn't how it started for me. It was more like a couple of friends and I had, you know, a real passion around music and uh, wanted to do something together where we could do that. And we kind of, I think, fell into it, uh, which was we started our own DJ service and and uh, ended up you know, having quite a lot of fun with it. And he kind of gave a taste of what it was like to operate that way, you know, go out, find your clients and um, build people for work, see people's enjoyment based on the things that you did and you created. So that was really what started it for me. And um, twice since then, I've uh, attempted working in more conventional scenarios. And both times it was pretty shortly. Um, so <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, well, I guess you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, my first when when I first left university and I had one, my first attempt at that, I, I I did see I did see a future stretching out in front of me, which is like alternating scenarios of Greg getting fired, Greg quitting, fired, Greg quitting. So I thought maybe that wasn't right. a good trajectory. Um, so what, along this path, um, I now I listed um the Always Blue Inception You and uh, Thinner Labs. What was was there a sort of like a a kickoff to your uh, entrepreneurial career that was you know more significant than the dj service but not quite as significant as say thinner labs <laughs> where did that how did that path go yeah i had uh so after university and i started uh so i mean my original degree was in uh, kinesiology uh, slash physical education and and so i had a real interest in uh how people worked and how uh, that could be made better, how you could keep people healthier, safer. And uh, so I got quite involved in, you know, what we would call ergonomics, I guess, basically, but not like desks and chairs necessarily so much, but at a bit more of a macro level. And, and so I just started that originally on my own, kind of working as a freelancer, I guess would be a better description of, of that kind of work. And then started adding to that and then ran a couple of versions of that over quite a few years where we have, you know, hired staff and then built uh, some clinical components of the work as well so that it wasn't um, really consulting based anymore. And so I spent a lot of time uh, in the health field uh, working around trying to solve big problems uh, in manufacturing and actually all sorts of different uh, all sorts of different sectors of the economy. So I guess uh, I, I really want to hear about um, Always Blue Inc. because that's one of the things that um, I had just recently found out about your career path. But you're turning, you're creating carbon negative durable plastics from food waste. How did that uh, originate? So uh, my business partner in that project, which at the moment is in a bit of a hiatus, but my business partner in that project, uh, Chris, is uh, oh, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, and I've met a lot of really smart people in my journey. And uh, so it was Chris's idea, and Chris and I had worked together at Imagine Energy, which was my second that uh, being somebody who worked for somebody else. And and so uh, yeah, so the idea is that um, 
And there's an interesting story around this too, which is that, uh, uh, that, that it's thinking about like the ventures that we create these days and what the stakes are in these different ventures. So I'll come back to that, but, but, um, but with Chris uh, and, uh, and Anno, who's another fellow who's involved in that, um, we were looking at the idea where there is so much unavoidable food waste in the world. So there's some amazing people, even in our local community, um, who like with Leftovers Foundation and stuff that are doing amazing work, taking food waste out of the waste stream and repurposing it so that it can actually feed people, which is fantastic. But there's also this unavoidable food waste and um, that you can't, you know, nobody's going to eat, but actually produces quite a lot of uh, negative effects in the world. And so what we were saying is, well, what if you could take that, break it down um, so that the nutritional component of it could be repurposed to make fertilizers and that sort of thing? Uh, and that the energy component of it, because of course all that food has been absorbing, uh, it's been absorbing a lot of sunlight over the over its life, uh, whether directly in the case of plants or indirectly in the case of animals that are eating those plants, and then be able to take that energy and repurpose that in some way that could create a different stream of activity uh, of actual durable products that would 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 take us away from producing those things using. Uh, more black approaches, like using fossil fuels and conventional ways to produce plastic. So um, at the center of that idea, that's really what it is, that you take all this unavoidable food waste, convert it through a digestion process, and um, and then produce high-quality fertilizer that can be reintroduced in the food cycle, and then take the energy out of that and use it to make basically chemically identical identical durable plastics that can be used to manufacture you know, long-standing things, which then traps that carbon in the plastic that came from the atmosphere. Oh, that's fascinating. What a neat idea. Um, and you're still, yeah, I, I can imagine. You said it's kind of in hiatus right now. Was it, was it um, uh, like fully functional or were you still in the kind of development stage? Still in the development stage. And so the, the big challenge is that, um, you know, when you think about businesses that are built around software, for instance, or other yeah, software-based technologies, uh, funding those businesses is, is a relatively, relatively straightforward. And it's interesting when you start going into an industrial space and you start um, bench testing ideas, for instance, which you can do for relatively reasonable amounts of money. But then when it comes time to build a full prototype of something, um, you don't get to do like a $15,000 version of it or a $500,000 version of it or a $5 million version of it. You know, you actually have to build maybe a $15 million wow. uh, version of, of something like that. So this is a real, you know, it's an, it's an interesting challenge. Um, it's a, we still obviously have to innovate in really creative ways around these big industrial processes, but the path to that innovation it, you know, it's not it's not the same uh, as doing innovation around other kinds of technology and right. software. Right. That's I guess a, that's something that a lot of people don't experience or think about because a lot of the startups these days are sort of tech focused software uh, solutions or stuff, stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess the industrial side, uh, industrial, uh, you know, design in that is is a completely different animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we still want to make that happen. 
Excellent. Well, maybe somebody's listening and they're going to help you out. <laughs> so, so moving along here, um, now something that's near and dear to my heart is uh, Inception University and uh, the Evolve U program. Can you tell us how that started? Yeah, so that's that's, uh, that's something that I've, you know, uh, when I was still at Imaginea, uh, had some conversations with who are the people who are now the co-founders of that project, Jill Langer and Margot Purcell, uh, about we were going to do, there was just some things that needed to be figured out. And one of those was around the notion of education and how we start to innovate the way that education works so that it it's more future friendly and not stuck in industrialized models that we've been following for you know 150 years. And I actually had a colleague who was so frustrated about how education was working that he wanted to go and uh, reverse engineer it to see where it went wrong. And when he did that, he discovered that it never went wrong and that actually education has been working exactly the way it was put together you know, in the late 1800s. So, uh, but that doesn't work for us anymore. So that was sort of the, the idea in the beginning was to try and find some path to that. And we actually originally called it Project X. And, and so um, it really is about creating a platform uh, for rapid learning that is uh, that's built around a, a design mindset, like seeing the world as a designer, and then um, also you know, layering in some of the essential competencies that sit underneath that mindset, and then tying that to specific technical applications. So like with the Evolve Youth program, we have a full stack developer. Uh, as an example, we have a couple of others that we've been working on, including in gaming technology and um, potentially machine learning. And so it's, it's, it's really, that was, that was the original idea was to pull something together like that. And it's not uh, just another school teaching computer programming or machine learning or whatever. It's actually reinventing the wheel literally, but, but a different wheel, like a more efficient, effective wheel that people can learn in a, in a new way that's, that's more intuitive and, and comfortable. Uh, yeah. And, and you're, you're actually teaching some of the classes in there on, on design thinking and stuff and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, that's probably not going to last forever, but it's, it's, uh, um, but one of the things that I've struggled to learn in my life is that, uh, individuals don't scale that well, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, yeah, the, the, it's, it's a lot of fun doing that. And I, and I'm also lucky too, that I, I get to teach, um, part of a PhD course in design at the university of Calgary as well, but it's, it, it's really a lot of fun to work with people on this, you know, really powerful way of doing things, but helping people to, I mean, the thing about the future is that things are going to change all the time. I mean, I saw an article today that, you know, sort of like a Python's not all it's cracked up to be uh, <laughs> a programming language and it's the Swiss army knife programming, but you know, people are getting tired of it and things are going to start to replace it. And whether that happens or not, it's absolutely likely that it could happen. So um, this notion that we can sort of give people a bunch of fixed content and then they're going to be successful in the future working off of that is just, you know, fundamentally so flawed. So, yeah, the programming is in that inception is built around the notion of helping people start to get the skills to learn how to learn so that they can flex 
and understand problems and break them apart and be able to teach themselves new things as they go. Yeah, that's fascinating. One of the things that popped into my head as, as you were talking is you sort of started out with kinesiology and then you're teaching design thinking and how did that happen? <laughs> that's, I've been asked that question a couple of times, that's for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, how that happened is, uh, as I said, I kind of took a slightly different path when I headed into the sort of the world of what ended up being what might be called macro ergonomics. And I did some independent scholarship and I published a few papers and presented at conferences and did stuff where I was really looking at the linkages between sort of the fundamentals of human nature and the way that we show up at work. And so that has always fascinated me and has pretty much animated all the work that I've done for the last 30 years and in some form or another. And, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot about how we experience the world as humans, which is really not conscious. To us. I mean, we operate with the sense that we're paying attention and we can see things happening, whatever, but we know, you know, conclusively that we actually uh, experience very little in the moment. And um, we're affected by a bunch of stuff in our surroundings that helps us decide how we're going to do things at a subconscious level. And, and so I've always been fascinated with that part of, you know, creating the conditions. And um, so to me, design is really a process of creating conditions so that we get outcomes that we want. Successful outcomes flow from good design, which means thinking about the things that we don't notice and making them work in such a way that they work together with us to produce the thing we want. And so that is like the connection that flowed through that. And then the thing that that was sort of a layer on top of that was I was doing a project many years ago in a meat like a slaughterhouse. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've got to see all sorts of weird work in my career, but, um, and, I, and really struggling to see, you know, why certain um injuries occurred to groups of people and it never lined up with exactly the things i expected it to look sort of like on a purely physical level and then just by accident discovered that the pa the pattern followed um changes in supervisors as they rotated supervisors through the, through the plant and so going and then finding out that one of those supervisors that every time that supervisor came into a new line, there was sort of a rooster tail of injuries that would show up behind him. And I mean, it turned out that the guy was just an asshole. <laughs> and so, um, and we've all met those kinds of supervisors in our lives. And, and, and in those circumstances, people, it's not like you can go and tell the powers that be that that's what's going on, but it is appropriate you know, like reporting injuries and even the tensions that change physically of working in those kinds of environments increase the, the risk. And even to this day, the number one correlation with pain at work is job uh, satisfaction. The less satisfied people are with their work, the more likely they are um, to be in pain, which doesn't mean that their pain or the injuries they're experiencing are not real, but it just shows you this layer, which is just gigantic, which is um, sort of an organizational dimension of, uh, keeping a human experience flowing at work. So yeah, that was, that was all part of that. And I was also 
I'm fascinated by the fact that our thinking is largely an unconscious experience. And so critical thinking, the notion of thinking about thinking to make it better uh, became a real fascination. And I went to Sonoma State University and um, with the Foundation for Critical Thinking and did a bunch of work there to more deeply understand that. It's, it's amazing when, when people lock into their passions and just start going down the rabbit hole and figuring things out and things lead to other things and you end up looking at the 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 track laid behind them and it's it's a really really fascinating journey and it certainly sounds like it was for you yeah oh absolutely yeah so that leads us to one of the most recent uh endeavors that you've undertaken here which is thinner labs and i'd really like to hear how that all uh happened that all happened because of the rainforest actually you know what Something that probably needs to be clarified, even inception um, is is largely you know emerged from the context of the rainforest initiative in Alberta. And um, there's a lot of things uh, in Calgary for sure that are the result of that. And it's kind of interesting because you know I, I was involved fairly early in the rainforest, not at the very, very beginning, but not far outside of that. And so a couple of things happened there. Uh, one is that the whole process of creating the rainforest was creating this, you know, very amorphous, messy uh, situation that lives up to the metaphor of an actual rainforest. And, and it allowed a lot of people who were trying to figure out what the future is going to look like here, both for themselves and for the, and for the city and economy in general, a real opportunity to collide with each other and exchange those ideas. And so um, that's a, that's an important part of the story. And so Thin Air and Inception both really came out of that. And it, it, what a great example, too, of the thing I was just talking about, which is we create these kind of containers around ourselves, these conditions, and these conditions produce certain behaviors. And like they emerge from I guess the whole nature of a complex system is that you can't really predict what's going to happen, but you do know that if you put a bunch of stuff in place and let it just start to play out, things emerge. And so in that, in that context of the rainforest, then you have three guys who happen to be all coming off of the last things that they'd done, which was me and Jim Gibson, who, you know, basically co-founded the rainforest with Brad Zumwalt and then James Lockery. And, the three of us collided through the rainforest. We didn't know each other. And uh, so thin air really grew out of that. That's, that's fascinating. For, for a little bit of context around, could you explain a little bit more about what thin air labs is and what, what its purpose is? Yeah, for sure. So um, when the three of us collided um, and, you know, there were a lot of sort of the, the hell are you conversations like why don't i know you sort of thing which of course is um part of the problem before having something like the rainforest is that a lot of us worked on stuff and including myself in a um, in that same work that i was telling you about before we ended up going in a software direction with some of that stuff too and it was an incredibly lonely building applications uh when you didn't know anybody else who was doing yeah you know, who's close by and, and so uh, so anyway, we decided that we want to do something and, uh, you know, you can look at it and say, well, maybe we build 
a company that does whatever. I mean, I've always got lots of ideas about some things that could happen like that. But then we had the conversation of given the state that everything is in here and what needs to happen for the future, it was like, well, what if we could build something that could build a hundred future fit companies that, you know, focused on uh, completely different ways of working where we could put capital and design to work, leverage the community and um, just produce a lot of success. Like actually look at things like, you know, why in venture capital is the success rate so, uh, or if you look at new ventures at all, why are, why are new ventures so unsuccessful at such a, to such a large degree? Is there nothing we can do about that? Is it just a, we just have to play the percentages that, you know, hey, 10 to 20% are gonna succeed, the rest are gonna, you know, fail. Like that seemed unacceptable to us. So we, we kind of took an analysis of, you know, what was going on there in terms of venture success and whatever else. And then we put thin air together, essentially as a way to uh, catalyze the development of successful ventures that beat the odds and uh, produced really globally impactful and surprising um, businesses that come from here. Like that really was the, the, the core thing that when we put this together that was driving. And one of the things that one of the things that I understand about it, which may or may not be wrong, and you're probably the perfect person to correct me if I am, um, is, is you're sort of making putting your your efforts and your knowledge and and your resources against sort of like a series of companies that all are symbiotically uh, able to work together, rather than just a, your typical investment firm would just say, oh, you look interesting. I'll give you some money and you look interesting. You know, I'll keep an eye on you. You guys seem to be, and and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to be like you're trying to put together a package deal where where you've got this uh, symbiotic relationship. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair way to describe it. And it happens in two ways. One way is that the level of the total ecosystem of companies that we work with um, because, uh, and, and then the second, I'll connect them in a second. And then the second way is that, you know, we have some sector or hub focuses in different areas. So, you know, like gaming or companies that are producing new ways of doing work or, um, you know, we have thin air planets. So looking at, you know, energy related things and emission reductions, and then obviously talent and education. So, so we can build communities within each of those sectors, which makes a lot of sense. But then a community that bridges those sectors, because there's great power in being able to learn things that cross all sectors. So for instance, a lot of people ask, well, why would you be interested in gaming? Because uh, it's sort of an unconventional place to look, but turns out that gaming is where now the digitally native population, people were growing up, with you know computers and iPads and everything connected from birth virtually, they do a lot of their learning through gaming. Their experience of the world um, goes through gaming, and we know that gaming is really just a hyper engaged way of dealing with content. And so the the opportunity to work with you know developing that at a really high level, so you can have successful ventures in that area, but then also be able to take 
the things that we learn there and the competencies that are produced there and export them across sectors to help, for instance, education, which is a no-brainer, but also health, which is an area that we're very heavily invested, then you know those are those sort of cross-sectoral opportunities where there's innovations in one sector, which could be very powerful in another sector, and we want to create the conditions for that to happen. Oh, that's really, really cool. You know, you, you're, you guys are giving so much back to, you know, the, the, the ecosystem and, and in general, what, what do you need from say us, like the people out in the ecosystem and, and in Calgary and Alberta, in Edmonton, Alberta, and et cetera, what, uh, what would thinner labs find value in other people if they wanted to help out maybe? An excellent question. And um, I can think of um, answers that are on a, in a few different dimensions, really. Uh, there are lots of ways for people to participate with us. And, and actually, we, we want to, part of our interest is finding ways for people to participate. And um, in any way that, that works for them. So we have a bunch of things under development. Uh, a big focus right now is expanding and raising a significant fund uh, to make sure that we have as much capital as we need to deploy into these ventures. So that's a, a significant thing for us. So there's a role for people who are wanting to invest in something that's different, something that mitigates risk both by the kinds of uh, ventures that we're engaging with, as well as because we're engaging with them in a co-creation process. It's not just you know, throwing money at them and hoping for the best, but actually in an iterative cycle of make sure things like product market fit and the way that the organization can scale and all that stuff is all actually integrated with um, capital. There's an opportunity there for people who want to invest, for instance, and, and be doing something different there. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole community that we want to build around this and which is going to have a whole lot of opportunities and there will be things coming from us that will be like basically invitations for people to get involved in in any way that they can and you know deal flow actually is something like we're very interested in what people are working on and and you know we have a view of the future which is that we can build extremely successful companies that have significant impact on human lives and and you know, in ways that, for instance, keep us inside the planetary boundaries so that we could continue to have a planet that works well for humans. And then also from the perspective of social foundations, like for the for the for thin air, it's a weird thing to think about um, that there's some sort of weird dichotomy between a business that can have that kind of impact and also be one that can be extremely, you know, successful financially. Um, so. You know, we're, we're always looking to see those ideas and the people who are committed and thinking about how do you build a future like that. I mean, that's an open invitation uh, as far as we're concerned, whether you're coming to the table with a venture or you just want to talk about how, you know, how you see you can make a contribution in the area. And, and so it's very much, you know, we talk about the fact that the core of, you, uh, the, the core of thin air is is design community and capital those are the those are the three things and so um you know we're always also looking for people who can make a contribution with some 
weird view they have of the world, some weird competence that they haven't designed because um, as uh, we've talked about, especially in our health area and Crystal Phillips, who's been working with us in that area for a while, you know, this idea that she came to us with this great language of unlike minds. And, uh, you know, we really want to find on that's an important part of, you know, seeding continuing diversity, which is going to produce a lot of creativity and a lot of success. That is so, so cool. Um, Greg, I, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've actually had some really, really exciting discussion here today. And um, I'm wondering, is there anything that I maybe didn't ask that you think would be really relevant to our conversation? Oh, there's so many things to talk about. We, uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about my lacrosse career. Just kidding. That's, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm... <laughs> that's, that's actually, uh, was going to be one of my talk, uh, questions, uh, but you, you weren't, you weren't to just, uh, you know, coaching some little league, uh, team or something. You were, you were pretty big into it, weren't you? Yeah, actually. Uh, and still involved a bit, um, the world level as, our, uh, as an official. And so, yeah, for fun, I, I mean, I've refereed lacrosse for quite a long time and then did it professionally in the national lacrosse league for seven or eight years. And, you know, it was great to get to the end of a week where you thought that you were pretty smart, <laughs> competent, and then you go and have 15,000 people tell you that you suck. <laughs> so, um, but really, uh, it's funny, you know, it's like, <laughs> of course, people also ask the question of like, why the hell would you do that? Um, and, and my answer to that was actually because it was so hard. Um, it was, it was really, it's a really difficult thing to do. You can't think about anything else. If you do think about other things while you're doing that, you're certain to be big trouble. And so there's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like a meditative component that came, a discipline that came from doing that work. And, uh, I mean, physical and cognitively challenging simultaneously was, um, was, was really interesting. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't been able to officiate even um, for fun. I mean, I, I, you know, I, haven't, I haven't wanted to referee professionally, but you know, it's been over a year since I've been able to do a game at all, and I do actually really miss the opportunity to be there. That, yeah. it's, it's one of the many opportunities that so many of us are missing out on these days. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's just something that a friend actually sent me notes. Just, last time that we did this was. Exactly a year ago. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely part of me, and uh, as long as I can still move fast enough and think fast enough, then I guess I'll try to keep in it to some extent. <laughs> well, that's really cool, Greg. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy Sunday evening, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join me on this call. And uh, thanks very much, very much. Oh, my pleasure, Ali. Been really looking forward to it. So. Uh, Anytime. All right. Uh, have a wonderful evening and thank you all for listening. Uh, check us out next week. Uh, every Tuesday, the show launches and uh, we've got many more episodes to bring to you. All right. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. 
This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.